0: Hello and welcome to the Bible Initiative Podcast. My name is Tim Fritzen. I'm the lead pastor of Liberty Christian Fellowship, and our hope today is to be able to shed some light on an important Old Testament concept. Because our reading plan is focused on the narrative portions of the Old Testament, we won't be reading very much in the book of Leviticus. Though there are a couple of very brief narrative portions in Leviticus, the vast majority of it is descriptive, so we made a choice to leave it out of our reading plan. As I mentioned during the Explaining the Tabernacle podcast, this does not mean that Leviticus isn't important or instructive for us. For that reason, we want to take a few minutes here as your plan jumps to Numbers and Deuteronomy in order to talk about what is contained in the book of Leviticus and why it is so important. And so for that, we offer this podcast that we're calling Explaining Leviticus and the Law. Throughout my years of ministry and life as a Christian, I've seen the same thing play out on numerous occasions. It goes something like this. An individual begins a reading plan through the Bible. They start eagerly and excitedly as they read the great accounts of creation, the fall, the flood, and the patriarchs throughout the book of Genesis. They continue to be amazed by the working of God in the book of Exodus, and they're swimming in his greatness and in his word. And Then they turn the page to Leviticus and immediately begin to drown. Because Leviticus is full of tedious feeling explanation and detail. Leviticus is very important because it contains the laws, commands, and sacrifices that were to govern the religious and daily lives of the Israelite people as they lived in covenant relationship with the Lord. It's worth remembering that the Bible is the story of God redeeming humanity. He has called the Israelites to be his covenant people. They are to be the means by which all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And in giving them these commands, God is telling his covenant people how they are to live in relationship with him, how they are to worship him, and how they are to display him to the world around them. Remember, the order of things is important here. God saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, then commanded them how to live his saving work was not based on their ability to obey his laws and regulations and commands his saving work was an act of grace given to them not because they deserved it but because he loves them he then sets the 10 commandments and the rest of the law before them as instructions for how to live in relationship with him and in response to the grace of his saving work on their behalf so with that in mind let's start with the very basics of the book of Leviticus here's some general context The book of Exodus ends with the instructions for and the description of the creation and setting up of the tabernacle. At that point, God's presence descends upon the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, and we're told that a great cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's in Exodus chapter 40. Throughout the second half of Exodus, we were told where the Lord is to be worshiped, and He's to be worshiped at the tabernacle. In the book of Leviticus, we're now going to be told how the Lord is to be worshiped. Just as the instructions for the where were very specific and detailed, so too are the instructions for the how. The book of Leviticus is a recording of the words of the Lord spoken to Moses on Mount Sinai. In fact, 38 different times the book of Leviticus tells us that the Lord spoke to Moses or Aaron. Eighteen other times, it tells us that the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron, and the Israelites. In reading Leviticus, it is impossible to escape the reality that God is directing how it is that he is to be worshipped. We've mentioned this truth before, but it bears repeating now. God sets the parameters by which humanity relates to him. This was true for the Israelites repeatedly. It was true in how they were to be saved in Egypt and the the setting whereby the Lord's presence would dwell with them. And now it's true in how they're going to come to worship him. And it's true for us today. God dictates the terms by which we come into relationship with him. And today, that's salvation through faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And the way in which we should live in response to him and his salvation is also given to us. Here's some general insight into the content of the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is all about holiness. For something to be holy means that it is set apart and dedicated to the glory of God. Contained within the book of Leviticus is the bulk of what is referred to as the law, or God's decrees and commands for his people. All told, there are 613 commands for God's people throughout the Old Testament. Many of those come right out of Leviticus. The intent for all of those was to set apart God's chosen people as distinct from the rest of the world around them, to mark them as holy or set apart and dedicated to God's glory. Particularly, they were to be distinct in the way that they lived, mirroring God's character in the world. They were to bear the image of God in his creation. To not do so would be to lie to the rest of the world about who God is and what his character is. Throughout Leviticus and the law, there are commands and rules for just about every facet of life. In fact, you can break the law down into three general categories. These distinctions are not explicitly drawn out in Leviticus, but they provide a good general framework for understanding the various components of God's commands for His people. There are ceremonial components to the law. These are all about how the Israelites were to worship. There are civil portions of the law. These were all about how they were to govern themselves as a people in a society. And there were moral portions to the law. The moral portions are all about how they were to live their daily lives. In the way they worshipped, in the way they governed themselves, and in the way they conducted the routine events of their daily lives, the Israelites were to be different, distinct from the people around them. In reading Leviticus, you gain an understanding that there is no part of life that God is indifferent about. He cares about it all. Everything about the way they lived was to be holy set apart, and dedicated to the glory of God, not just their worship, but everything about them. Here's a general outline for the book of Leviticus. In its most broad sense, you can think of Leviticus in two very large pieces. Chapters 1 through 16 are commands for maintaining holiness in worship, and then chapters 17 through 27, the end of the book, are commands for maintaining holiness in the rest of life. If you want a more specific way to break down Leviticus, you can think of it as follows. Chapters 1 through 7 contain the explanations and regulations for sacrifices. Chapters 8, 9, and 10 are about the consecration or setting apart of the priests. Chapters 11 through 16 are all about ritual purity among the people. And then chapters 17 through 27 contain the holiness code, or the commands by which holiness was to become a way of life for the people of Israel. All throughout the book of Leviticus, there are four important specifics that come up over and over. I want to walk through all four of those. The first one are sacrifices. God's people are going to sin, be it intentionally or unintentionally. And when they do, there is a means for the provision of that sin. Let's work with an example from Leviticus 4, verses 13 to 15. It says this, If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally, and they do any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and bring it in front of the tent of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord." The sacrificial system, as mentioned there in that passage, served a number of purposes. Let's walk through those. The sacrifices both teach and remind the Israelites that sin brings death. God made this clear all the way back in the garden when he told Adam that if he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if he sinned, that he would surely die. The consequence of sin is death, and when sin entered the world, so did the reality of death. In fact, Right in the garden, there's a foreshadowing of this animal-based sacrificial system. Before sending Adam and Eve from the garden, God makes them garments of clothes from the skin of an animal. He kills an animal in order to clothe them in response to their sin. The sacrificial system in the law is based on the shedding of blood in order to make atonement for sin. Atonement literally means to make a reparation for an offense. Atonement is how estranged parties are reconciled. You can think of atonement as at-one-ment. It means to bring two things back together despite something that has separated them. In this case, atonement is the means to bring God and humanity back together in relationship after the separating effect of sin. In our Leviticus chapter four example, it was the blood of a bull that was going to bring Israel back into relationship with the Lord. No one is exempt from needing these sacrifices. The animal that is sacrificed was portrayed as being a substitute for the guilty, sinful party, and it was the blood of that animal that made atonement for sin. The sacrifices were intended to be both valuable and costly for the people. This further reinforced the reality that sin has weighty consequences. The second thing you see repeatedly throughout the book of Leviticus is a group of people who are called priests. The Levites, those Israelite people who were descended from Levi, were the priests in Israel. Their responsibility was the maintenance of the temple and the correct processes surrounding Israel's offerings and sacrifices to God. Leviticus lays out the way in which they are to dress and how they're to be ritually purified and consecrated. And the key is this. For the Israelite people, priests serve as mediators between Israel and God. The third thing you see in the book of Leviticus are rituals and ceremonies. The law also lays out a number of regular festivals for the people. Throughout the Old Testament, there are many feasts and ceremonies the Israelites are supposed to observe. One of the most prominent of those is the Day of Atonement, which is put forth in Leviticus chapter 16. The Day of Atonement was a ceremony the Israelites were to observe every year, and its purpose was for the priest to offer a sacrifice for sin on part of the entire community of Israel. The yearly recurring nature of these festivals and of the sacrifices required by the law was a reminder that people keep sinning. Sin is not a one-time thing. No immediate end was going to come to the reality of humanity's sin. Thus, there would have to be a never-ending procession of blood and animal sacrifices offered to the Lord. In fact, when you read the book of Leviticus, you kind of get this bleak picture, both of the recurring nature of sin and also of the necessity to make atonement for that sin. The final specific item that comes up on multiple occasions in the book of Leviticus, are rules for holiness. Leviticus is a lengthy code of holiness that was to govern the daily lives of the Israelite people. Along with the particular way they were to worship the Lord, this way of living was to distinguish them from the rest of the world. The holiness code, found in Leviticus 17-27, through records what the Israelites could and could not eat, how they were to conduct themselves sexually, how they were to love their neighbors both inside and outside the Israelite community, how they were to treat the aged, the young, the poor, and the foreigners who were among them. There were rules for feast days and celebrations, limits for criminal punishment, laws about taking vows or making promises, and regulations for the buying and selling of property. Virtually all aspects of life are covered in the Holiness Code. The implication is this, every aspect of the Israelites' lives was to be lived in conformity with God's law, so as to be different from the people around them. In doing so, they would display the character of God to the world, so that all the nations would be able to see the greatness of the Lord. So between sacrifices, priests, rituals and ceremonies, rules for holiness, and all the various laws that appear in Leviticus, what do we do with this book today? One of the common questions that comes up repeatedly in regard to the Old Testament is, which of the Old Testament laws or commands apply to Christians today? How do we take what we read in Leviticus and apply it to life today? This is a great question, and it requires some careful explanation. There are some general principles in making a distinction between what in the Old Testament law is applicable today and what is not. We need to understand what God's commandment meant to the original audiences. As with any portion of Scripture, the Bible cannot mean something today that it never meant to the people beforehand. So when we come to a law in Leviticus, we have to ask ourselves, what was God commanding for these people? We also need to consider what the New Testament teaches about that law today. Has Jesus fulfilled it, and therefore it no longer applies because of his fulfilling work? These commands would be things that are ceremonial or civil in nature. Jesus either fulfilled those or made them obsolete by his work on the cross. Or does the New Testament reiterate that a command is for us today, such as those commands that are moral in nature? Let's take an example. The Levitical command to not eat pork. Does this apply to us today or not? In Leviticus chapter 11, the Israelites are commanded not to eat pork. Living in the barbecue capital of the world here in Kansas City, if we can't enjoy a pulled pork sandwich, I think we can all agree that we might be just a little bit sad. The reason the Israelite people were called to abstain from pork was because many of the pagan or non-Israelite cultures around them used pork in their sacrifices to their false gods. The Lord, wanting a distinction between his people and everyone else, called the Israelites to abstain from consuming pork." There's the original context for the command. The Lord wants a distinct people, and one way for them to be distinct is to not eat pork. Well, what about today? What does the New Testament say about eating pork? Does it say anything? It does, in fact. In the New Testament letter to Colossians, Paul encourages the believers. In chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, he says this, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. What we learn is that the Old Testament dietary laws do not apply today in the age of New Testament faith. Faith in Jesus the Messiah makes them obsolete and has superseded them. When we come to questions about whether an Old Testament command applies to Christians today, we have to ask ask ourselves, what did the command originally say and mean to the original audience, and what does the New Testament have to say about it? Those questions provide us a framework to answer whether or not we need to apply that law, that command, to ourselves. What are some other points of application for the book of Leviticus? Well, the law was never intended to be the means by which people were made righteous. Remember, salvation first. Sanctification second. The same is true today. We do not live obedient lives as a means by which to be saved. We live obedient lives in response to God's grace in saving us. We are freed from the burden of feeling like we have to perform in order to merit God's grace. And yet, because of his grace, when we place place our faith in Jesus, we're given new hearts that long to be obedient. In fact, Paul makes this very clear in the New Testament, that the law was never meant to be saved. It was given to highlight our need to be saved. Another point of application is that the law was a gracious gift, as are all of God's commands. Just as God's act of saving the Israelites from Egypt was an act of saving grace, so his providing the law and instructing them on how to worship and relate to him was an act of saving grace. For the Israelites, being saved in Egypt and getting the law in the desert are both loving acts, and the same is true today. God's work to provide salvation in Jesus by grace through faith for all who believe in him is an act of grace. Giving us clear commands about how to live in relationship with him and display his character in the world is also an act of grace. Another point of application, God still longs for a holy people, those who are set aside and dedicated to his glory. Leviticus 11, 19, and 20 all contain powerful statement from God. It says this, that the Israelites are to be holy because God is holy. Their lives are to mirror his character. In the New Testament letter of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter takes that command and applies it to the New Testament church. God longs for his people to bear his image in his world for his glory. The lives of the Israelite people were to provide a testimony to the rest of the world about not only the presence of the Lord, but also the character of the Lord, His grace and love and truth, justice, mercy, greatness, and glory. For Christians today, the goal is the same, that our lives would provide a testimony to the rest of the world about not only the presence of the Lord, but also the character of the Lord. One final piece of application. We've mentioned throughout the Bible initiative particularly while we're reading in the Old Testament, to look for Jesus. Well, the law points to Jesus and was fulfilled by Jesus. To go back to the main point of the Bible, God is redeeming humanity back into relationship with himself, and he does this fully and finally through Jesus. The way in which we live in relationship with God is through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled every piece of the law in a way that no human ever possibly could. And in so doing, he lived an entirely sinless life. When he went to the cross, he did so as a substitutionary sacrifice, whose blood has made a full and final atonement for the sin of all who place their faith in him. No more sacrifices needed. His death on the cross has put an end to the need for the sacrifices of the book of Leviticus. He triumphed over death at his resurrection, then ascended into heaven, and now sits at the right hand of God, providing intercession or mediation between humanity and God. And so in this way... As the New Testament book of Hebrews says in chapter 8, we don't need a priest any longer. Hebrews 8 says, We have a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. We don't have to try to fulfill the law perfectly in order to be saved because Jesus fulfilled it for us. We don't need animal sacrifices for atonement because Jesus' blood has forever paid that price. We don't need a priest to mediate for us because Jesus is at the right hand of God forever interceding for us. We don't need a tabernacle or a temple where the presence of God can dwell within a holy space because by faith in Jesus the Holy Spirit now resides within us. And now, thanks to faith and new life in him, we're free to live obedient lives as a holy people set apart and dedicated to his glory, proclaiming his goodness for the world to see. This is why Leviticus matters. This is why, in a whole year reading plan where you read all of the Bible, it's worth pressing through Leviticus. In understanding the law and its purposes, we can better understand and cherish Jesus, his life death resurrection and ascension and through faith in him we have finally and fully been brought into right relationship with the lord hopefully this has been helpful in providing some context and understanding of the book of leviticus what the law is why it matters and why that third book of the Bible is so important to understanding who Jesus is and what his life ultimately means. As always, you can find more resources and more context for where our reading plan is right now at www.thebibleinitiative.com. We encourage you to go and check that out. We're praying for your reading this week, and we look forward uh, to being with you via podcast or sermon or here at church on Sunday very soon.